Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Hello, I'm Mara Carabello filling in today for Boyd Matheson. And I want to talk about the Department of Justice uh, who released a statement, I think yesterday, on a news report saying black and Asian American students in Davis County School District have faced widespread harassment over the past few years. Um, And they're suggesting that the concerns of the parents and the kids were not heard. So I want to talk about why is that and importantly, why it is so difficult for some in our community to recognize the harmful bias. I want to read a little bit of some excerpts from the DOJ's investigation. It, quote, reveals serious and widespread racial harassment in this school district. And uh, investigators say black students in Davis County School District told the Department of Justice investigators that they were routinely called the N-word and other racial epitaphs by non-black students and were told their skin is dirty and looks like feces. These are hard quotes to um, review, and they include again a direct quote that says many black students said the harassment was so pervasive and happened in front of adults that they concluded student employees condone the behavior and believe reporting it further would be futile. That's according to the report. So this is this is some heavy stuff and it exists in Utah. And one thing we can say about Davis County is I think it is a reflection of most of our cities. So if it is happening there, it is also happening in our neighborhoods and in our backyards. And it begs the question of why and how we recognize it and, and what we do about it. I'm going to start by um, paraphrasing uh, and appreciating what the spokesperson for Davis County said last night on the news, and you can review these if you haven't, but I appreciated that they took responsibility and and apologized. And he also acknowledged how hard it was to recognize this behavior. And so he hit on some key things. And one is, is, is the apology itself and, and um, not blowing this off or deferring this, but rather accepting it. And that I think is the key to making the changes. As I've been involved in the social justice conversations or the conversations of bias and discrimination, one interesting notion is how defensive we all get. And so uh, in a lot of public communications and interpersonal communications is about the word choices that we make, right, and how we use it. So an example of that for me is that no matter what the conditions, if you are calling me a racist and we've in our in our more and more shrill world, we hear people throwing around the term racism so much. And there are very few of us 
who can be called or, or accused of racism and not immediately just become defensive. We dig in at that, at that uh, label that they've put on us. And we're unable, we're sort of blinded by the defense of that. And so as we, as I have been in part of groups talking about bias, we've adjusted the behavior and said, well, then let's talk about racial behavior because let's not indict the person. Let's rather talk about the behaviors that we all intentionally and unintentionally participate in that make someone feel less than or or comment in groups. And so I think we have to move to a place in the public discussion where we talk less about accusing people or labeling people, but rather talk about the behaviors that we all engage in that may or may not be making others feel comfortable and feel um okay with themselves. We also just have to discuss the cultural language that we're teaching our kids. Um, I'm, I'm going to sound old school here, but songs that include explicit language, whether that's misogyny or whether that is racial language, and the kids have grown acclimated to those. And so breaking it down for your children, I mean, this is part of the ethics and the ethos that we have in Utah about instructing our kids at home, but talking to them about those words and where they fit perhaps in an entertainment culture, but where they also can really impact their friends. Um, there's also just this notion of how do you stand up for those things in awkward situations, uh, peer groups that are making you feel uncomfortable and you don't want to be the person who sounds different. I think teaching your kids the courage to be different in their peer group and in challenging bias would become so important in fighting it. It's not the big things that often um, can make huge differences. It's the small everyday things, standing up for the kids, pulling your friend aside and saying, you know, when you say that word, here's how it makes me feel. Can you imagine how it makes them feel? We talked earlier about ignorance, and I'm going to bring a different definition of ignorance into that action and sort of say another another pro-con or another variable to this discussion is the difference between malice and ignorance. And Malice, I think for many of us, needs to be unexcusable and, and really directly called upon and directly challenged. But what do we do about ignorance? And again, it's about really putting aside your defenses and moving beyond labels and instead saying, okay, I can always do better. I can always be um, more aware. And I think in Utah, it's fair to say without sidestepping the issue. It's fair to say that a lot of people are operating from a place of ignorance, not malice. And so the labeling isn't going to help anybody. The challenging and the name calling isn't going to help. But rather, let's all personally decide that there's going to be some ignorance, some unawareness and some insensitivity. And let's decide individually that um, maybe this is something we can improve. I really do think this is a wake-up call in many ways. I'm going to go back to the primary story and say, again, in Utah, if it can happen in Davis County, it's happening in our neighborhoods as well. And as we grow more diverse, again, I'm struck by reading the news stories and about some of the language that I wouldn't have frankly found as direct and as harmful and um, 
really just some harsh and what I thought were antiquated and not existing in our students. And one thing that I say as a parent is we all know that kids are just mirroring behavior. So for me, bias starts by not worrying about labels and really looking at my own behavior and those around me, um, bridging the gap in ignorance and not allowing malice to exist. So what a story. Um, great opportunity for change in Utah. And um, hopefully these things are fewer and fewer and hopefully they're never. So next, we're going to switch gears. We're going to move to a major story coming out today from the Supreme Court who has agreed to take up the Texas abortion law and some of the groups who want that law overturned. It's a surprising mix of characters. We'll talk about that next. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts. 